All right, welcome back, Thatcher Effect listeners. We've got another good one set up for you guys this week. Has the early season jazz train stopped rolling? Utah football is coming off a great home win against Stanford. Can they get a win at Oregon for the first time in seven years to essentially claim a spot in the Pac-12 championship? Plus, Utah Hoops is now 3-0. Can this year's team take that next step? And for our weekly draft segment, who are our starting five all-time Star Wars TV or Star Wars characters? That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. Here are today's Thatcher Effect headlines. Richie, take us away. All right. The Utah Jazz are 10-5 and five after losing two in a row to the Wizards and Sixers coming home from their road trip. Um, sometimes some time, teams might have found the recipe to stop the Utah Jazz. Only time will tell as the Utah Jazz finish the month of November with a brutal stretch of games. By game 25, we could have a very good idea of what this Jazz team looks like and the direction this Jazz team will take for the future. And the now number 10 Utah Utes finished undefeated at Rice Cycles this season with a 42-7 win over the Stanford Cardinal on Saturday. The return of Tavion, the choo-choo train Thomas, was alive and well as he finished with a career-high 180 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Utes now gear up for their biggest game of the year up at Autzen Stadium against the number 12 Oregon Ducks. If Utah wins, they most likely make it to Las Vegas for a second time, but if they don't, there's still a sliver of hope, and that game will be on Saturday at 8.30 Mountain on ESPN. But before we get into some jazz talk, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the path that Utah would have to get. I thought that could be our substitute for some big news topics that we got going around with sports. The Pac-12 conference is as deep as it has ever been, um, probably throughout its entire history. Um, with you meaning when Utah and Colorado joined and we have six teams ranked in the top 25 with a lot of guys up at the top tied and trying to get a spot up in Las Vegas Utah's got a path but it's got to go through Oregon this Saturday so I wanted to break down some scenarios real quick so for Utah fans you kind of have like two main paths there's a lot of paths but you kind of have two main first you win out if Utah wins out they beat Oregon they beat Colorado you're in but if you're like me and you're a little hesitant about this Saturday, there's we got some backup. We got some, we got some ways we can still get in. Okay, so if Utah does lose to the Ducks, they would still have to beat Colorado. UCLA would have to beat USC, and then we have one of three options that would have to happen. Remember, these don't all have to happen. Just one of these three: Oregon State beats Oregon, which that will be at Corvallis. Washington wins out, and they play Colorado and Washington State or Cal beats UCLA. The last of those three, in my opinion, is not going to happen. I can see Oregon State beating Oregon. That one, I could I could see that one because, again, it's at Corvallis. Oregon State is a great team this year. I think they're a quarterback away from basically being one of the best teams in the Pac-12. But Washington's schedule, I mean, all they have to do is play Colorado and Washington State, and I would favor both of those pre- both the Huskies in both of those games pretty heavily. So Richie, what is your, what are your thoughts looking at these scenarios for Utah heading into the final two weeks of the regular season? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's obviously a lot of ways that Utah could get to the championship. I do think the 
Cal beating UCLA is definitely the least probable. But I also think um, it's possible that USC just destroys UCLA this week. That'll be a big game. It's in LA, so it's like kind of a home game, but kind of not for UCLA. It'll be a mix of both. They're opening up more seats and everything. I think that's going to be the game to watch more than anything. But you do make a really good point about Washington. They have a pretty clear path where they could beat um, both Colorado and Washington State and then pretty much you know, open up that doorway for Utah to get into the championship. Um, I think if you're the Utes, you just kind of have to focus on what you can control. I think that's been probably the narrative around the team this week. Um, focus on what you can control. Try to win the game that you can win because – you know, if they beat Oregon this week, then it's essentially a lock. And so I think Utah's going to be trying to take in, trying to take that mentality into this next week. Um, and I don't know. I think it's fun that you have so much parity in, in a great conference. I mean, having six teams ranked right now is is ridiculous. It's been such a fun season. And who knows what's going to happen these last two weeks. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I think this next – this second to last weekend – is geared up to be one of the best Pac-12 weekends in a very long time with all these championship hopes on the line. I think that it's nice that Utah has that 8.30 p.m. slot time. I usually don't like that it's late, but I like that it's late this week because the Utes will then know exactly what they have to do once game time comes. I'm not saying that they would play more lax if UCLA does go up and beat USC, but... It would be nice to know as a fan what needs to happen, and maybe I wouldn't feel as tense about going in odds. But we'll get into all that later. It's time to get jazzy. And, of course, this Utah Jazz segment is brought to you by DraftKings. The NBA action is just getting started, and so are these incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA pregame Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. So check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, who will get total like total rebounds, total points scored, and more. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where you should go to get a bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week, and you can get $200 in free bets if your team wins. That's only a DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Richie, what are your jazz notes for us this week? I'm excited. All right. I think it's a really good week to look at what this jazz team is. Um, you went on the road, three game stretch against three pretty quality teams. I don't know if Washington is necessarily a playoff team, but they're definitely in that play in range. Um, Atlanta is for sure a playoff team. They've looked spectacular this year and Philadelphia is finding their identity and they were a great team last year. I'm, I expect them to bounce back, um, especially with Embiid looking like Embiid did last year. Um, I really think that this road trip highlighted some of Jazz's, the Jazz team's weaknesses. Currently, I think one of our big weaknesses is our interior defense. Opponents are shooting 54.3% on twos, which ranks 20th in the NBA. So that's not that bad. You can live with that. You know, If you're a good offensive team and they're shooting... 54% on twos, then you're fine with that, right? Um, what scares me, though, is that the Jazz are allowing 60.12 point attempts per game, which ranks 30th in the NBA. Or in other words, we're allowing the most twos per game. 
Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's all shots at the rim or it's all mid-range shots, but that does kind of explain um, or give us an insight into what this Jazz team is looking like from a defensive perspective. Another thing that worries me is our defensive rebounding percentage, which ranks 27th in the NBA. So we just we lack in these two spots where we're not a great we're not great at um, limiting two point attempts. You know we'd hope to force more people out to the three, where we are defending at a very high level, and we're not rebounding at a high rate, which I think is necessary, especially in the playoffs. And the Jazz have been a great rebounding team for the last couple of years with the help of defensive anchor Rudy Gobert. On the flip side of all that um the jazz are doing really well in the perimeter like i said they're holding opponents to 32.5 percent from three which ranks number three in the nba i think that's something we could see possibly um kind of decline as in teams will start shooting better against the jazz but i also think it's a really good recipe for success if you're able to maintain that rate um we are also allowing the second most threes per game which I think is is kind of key. I mean, teams might start hating their shots against us, and it's okay that we're allowing so many threes if we're able to make them miss those threes. So I think it's going to be interesting to watch kind of how those things play out as the season goes on. But I do think there is kind of one weakness that I really am scared about with this Jazz team, and it's how we handle superstars. I don't feel like this Jazz team has a stopper. Um, I think... It's really easy to point to that Sixers game where Embiid was attacking Olenek basically the entire game. He had 59 points, 8 assists, 11 rebounds, and 8 blocks. That's like one of the most complete games from a center you could ever have. Um, Shot 20 from 24 from the free throw line. I think a lot of that was just his willingness to attack Olenek or whoever else was guarding him. Um, And I kind of think when you're an undersized defender, that's kind of what's going to happen is – he's going to get his free throws. And Joel Embiid is one of the best in the game at drawing fouls and selling the call. But I also think there's been other games where superstars have taken advantage. In the Wizards game, Porzingis put up 31-10 and and was all over. I thought he was the key to winning that game for them. Luka put up 33-11 and in the game we lost to the Mavericks. Bones Highland, who isn't necessarily a superstar, shined for the Nuggets in that loss. And Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. combined for 51 in that loss. So there's kind of been a theme where Jazz just don't really have a stopper. They don't have a guy who's able to get into these players' heads that's able to kind of just make life rough for them. Granted, these are all extremely good players. They're going to put up good numbers no matter what. I just think it's going to be interesting to see how this Jazz team is able to handle that as the season goes on. I think more teams will kind of be aware of how to attack the Jazz and more superstars will be aware of it. And it could show that this Jazz team might might not be the team that the record indicates. Um, I think only time is going to tell with that, but I think there's a lot of skepticism around this Jazz team and their defense so far. Yeah, I think especially looking at that last Sixers game, I think the natural fan could look at that and be like, all right, you guys literally just gave up basically half the Sixers points to their star player. How could you let this thing happen? And that's what really stuck out to me as well was you put Olenek on him and I feel like Olenek has really gotten bounced around in a lot of games defensively. I think that it was a great call by by Hardy and um, I, think, I think it was the Atlanta game to put 
uh, Walker Kessler and finish him. Cause again, we talked about it last week where Hardy's kind of playing these guys that have the hot hand and he finishes with them because I mean, the games change all the time and what it, depending on your rotation, you want to have the best chance to win. So Hardy's been doing a good job with in, in terms of, you know, rotating guys and finishing with the guys he likes. But with that one, it was, it was hard to see because especially, and we already knew, like, especially in those last maybe three, four minutes, like, Everyone knew what was going to happen on offense for Philadelphia, but yet it was so hard for them to stop it. And I was wondering the importance of this and especially those crunch minutes, how that has fared between Utah's wins and Utah's losses. You already mentioned the star players and the five losses for the jazz this year and how they weren't really able to contain these guys that really stood out against them. For me, what really stood out was, how the jazz offense was also running on the other side of the floor when they were being challenged in close games. Again, I think the Atlanta game was a great example of what the jazz can potentially do in these crunch minutes. Jazz basically controlled the first half for the majority. Uh, you go into the third quarter and then Atlanta goes on a 32 to, you know, 12 run or some similar to that. And basically you're down what you were up going into halftime. And as a jazz fan, I was like, Oh great. Like our collapse came in the third quarter rather than the fourth quarter, like pretty typical, similar, but I loved how the jazz team responded in the fourth. They changed things up. They moved the ball around and they gave the ball to the hot hand. And that was namely going to Malik Beasley. And that was going to uh, Lori Markinen in clutch moments. And I think Jordan Clarkson had to realize maybe his shot wasn't going down that game. And so he was able to pass the rock around a little bit. Going into Philadelphia, um, sure, we weren't able to stop Philly, but the Jazz didn't get decimated. Like, they didn't get blown out. You look at the score, like, it was a close game, and the fact that the Jazz offense couldn't answer was also a really big part of that loss. And the play that really stood out to me from that game was Sexton on a drive. Um, You had three Jazz players. I believe it was like a three-on-two fast break. And Sexton decided he's got the young bull mentality. Take it to the basket. It works a lot. But on this fast break, he takes it right to the basket and Bede has been following him the whole time. And he's got Clarkson wide open for a kick out on the corner, goes up, gets blocked by Embiid for his seventh block of the game. At that point, I was like, man, yeah, you know, we all have the press box view. So it's like, I know exactly what, like I can see Clarkson's wide open, but especially for critical moments when you're getting put in a situation like Sexton was where Hardy is trusting you with this offense against a team that and a player that is absolutely decimating you, you have to really make smart decisions. And that really goes along with my second point in terms of the Jazz never really got going on a run in Philadelphia. Uh, They never had a stretch where they scored a lot. And that's what has really been their key in these big wins is they've had stretches where they've been able to put up a lead so that even if they have bad stretches where the other teams go on a lead that, well, you know what? We can match it. We can do even better. So that's what really stood out to me from these last few losses. And I'm excited to see how the Jazz respond this week. They've got some good games at home. They've got the Knicks, the Suns. And I think those two games can also help show what this team really is about and really how they can answer the call when trials come, when tribulation hits their team. So I'm excited to see what happens. But what do you have to say for maybe this change of rotation or Hardy's willingness to maybe start some of the young guys over these other men who are kind of getting bodied around by some of these big superstars. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a conversation that we have for most of this year because we're such a deep team. We're always going to be wondering what the rotation should look like. 
and it's going to fluctuate as certain players are hot, certain players are cold. Um, I was doing a deep dive on the Kelly Olynyk versus Walker Kessler. So I should state that I do think Kelly Olynyk is the right decision as the starting five. Um, I think you want him next to Vanderbilt as long as Vanderbilt isn't a consistent three-point shooter. And I do think Kelly Olynyk should be the starter. However, there is a case for Walker Kessler to get a bump in minutes. Currently, he's only playing like 19 minutes a game, and maybe he should be playing like 25 minutes a game. Um, I was looking at their per 36-minute stats. Kelly Olynyk is shooting is 16.5 points, nine rebounds, 0.6 blocks, and 5.8 fouls. He's almost fouling out every single game. Walker Kessler is putting up 13.3 points, 12 rebounds, four blocks, which is insane, and um, four fouls. So there's kind of, it's kind of, you're kind of seeing that when Kessler is out there, he's doing a lot different things than Olenek is able to do. And that's just because they're two different players. That's the nature of who they are. Olenek is definitely better as a shooter, a passer. He's more experienced. Um, he's probably has more chemistry with the starting lineup, quite honestly. Um, whereas I think Kessler is a better rim runner. I think he's a better rebounder, a defender. And I also think you have to look at him as the center of the future. Um, I think, you know, nothing's for certain about what we're going to be getting in the next draft. Heck, it doesn't, it doesn't even look like we're going to be in the Victor Weminyama sweepstakes. So I don't think we really have to worry about our center rotation coming from the draft because we already have this guy who has shown that he's able to play quality minutes as a center. And I think it's going to be interesting as the year goes on and maybe as injuries happen and opportunity opens up, I think Kessler could look at more opportunity to play that starting center position and get a bump in minutes. I Right now, I think he should be playing some more minutes. I thought Olenek was just, he just wasn't the guy against Embiid. And I wish we would have tried Kessler a little bit more, just tried to make Embiid's life a little bit harder. Granted, Embiid wasn't getting a lot of his stuff at the rim. He was mostly just getting it on these insane turnaround jumpers that he was, it was every, every time. And I'm sure he would have taken advantage of a rookie Walker Kessler, but at the same time, I trust Walker Kessler. He's SEC Defensive Player of the Year last year. I thought he and Jabari Smith's front court in Auburn was incredible defensively. And I think Kessler is already an above-average NBA defender. So I think that's going to be something that's interesting to watch as the year goes on because Kessler definitely has a case to be getting more minutes. And I think we're going to be seeing more opportunity for him as the year goes on. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And excuse the weed whacker that's going on outside my apartment, but um, I I think that Walker can really be a great potential jazz star. And I think a lot of jazz fans can agree with me that this guy is really the center of the future. He's going to be in the pain. He's going to be doing great things. We saw a great snippet in that Philadelphia game. He had that ginormous block um, off the steal that he threw. Uh, I can't remember who he threw it to, but he gave a turnover and then immediately just absolutely just wiped the guy off the floor. And I was like, dang, okay. So he shows that, you know, he makes a mistake. He's got that mindset. He can turn around and bounce back. Again, I think we've talked about it all year. The Jazz have a young roster. They have some young players. I think they can make it happen. And I think we were underestimating them at the beginning of the season, maybe um, overestimating them as they were going on this little bit of a run at the beginning of the season. But like you said in the headlines, like I think going in after the first 25 games, we can really get a good, 
picture about what this Jazz team will look like. And I think really going into this next phase of the schedule after this really rough first 20 games, I think we can see if the Jazz can maybe pull off maybe another run or how they evolve along as the season keeps going. Um, in terms of the Utes, this is probably the biggest week that we've got for Utah Utes um, football. Speaking as they go up to Oregon, they're trying to get a win. Like we were saying before, they basically, if they get a win, that basically locks them into a spot at the Pac-12 championship. They would have to beat uh, one of, if not the worst college football team in the Colorado Buffaloes. Something that really stood out to me, and I, I, I pointed it out in last week's episode, is that the Stanford game had to be a lead up going into Oregon. I think Utah had some good games that they were going on a run. They were seeing some success, but this really had to be a step up. And I really had to feel confident, like, okay, we have the momentum. It's going into the Oregon game. Things are going to go well for us. Because that's why I felt like it went last year. Utah started out really rough, but they kept getting progression and momentum as they kept going besides the Oregon State game. And so as they moved along, they had momentum going into that Oregon game. They, dom they dominated both of those games at the end of the season. Tavion Thomas comes back, and now he has 180 rushing yards, two touchdowns, and perhaps his biggest career game. And now I'm confident that, oh, it's not all going to be on a not 100% cam rising. We have Tavion in the backfield, a deep running back room, and an offensive line that gave him ginormous holes against Stanford. Again, it's Stanford, but that just made me more confident going into odds and saying, I think that the Utes can get this done. Now, Cam Rising showed maybe some setbacks in that first half against Stanford. I feel like the offense did that as a whole, but he also showed that he was going to one guy in particular. And I feel like that's a guy that you want to talk about. Oh, for sure. Um, I want to talk about the two, the second year sophomore Devon Vele. I guess I should say fourth year because who, who knows how many years he's been playing. He's 24 years old. Um, but the guy has had 44 receptions on the year, 500 yards, um, five touchdowns. He played particularly well against Stanford. And I think ever since that Washington State game, he has had to take on a bigger role. He's been Cam's number one option without Kincaid. And I kind of feel bad for Cam because his options have slowly dwindled as Keithy was out, as Kincaid got banged up. Um, Cam has had to use different options. I think we've seen that the last couple of weeks. Um, but Vele since becoming kind of the number one option, he put up 61 yards and a touchdown against Stanford and five receptions and 57 yards against Arizona. So he's kind of shown that he's able to do stuff. He's always going to be a reliable option. I think that's really important with this Utah offense. And I think it's going to be really important against an Oregon team who sometimes leaves, leaves the secondary wide open. I think there are going to be chances for, Vele for Money Parks for Jalen Dixon to have big plays. And I think that's going to be really necessary for Utah to win. But I do, I still am a little bit worried going into this week, even though we saw Kincaid and Bernard play, both got targets, both um, looked great. They still look pretty banged up. And so does Cam. And I think it's going to be really imperative that Cam has an option like Devon Bailey. As as I said, Oregon's secondary just isn't very good. They have some; they've had some lapses of judgment. Currently, they're allowing um, 289 passing yards per game, which is about 83 more than Utah allows per game, and that's a very high number. I think that's something that Utah is definitely going to have to try and expose. Uh, kind of to your point, I do think it was really good to find out that Tavion is ready to be reliable. That he's ready. I mean. 
just that entire game, he got better as the game went on. I thought that's what struck out to me more than anything is kind of in the first half, he was a little bit slow, but then once he started picking it up, especially in the second half, he, it just didn't look like anybody can stop him. So I'm hoping he takes that into this next game, but in case he doesn't against an Oregon defense, that's pretty good on the inside with Noah Sewell leading that, that group. I do think it's going to be really important for Utah to have a guy like Bailey. And I think Bailey is going to have the opportunity to make a lot of big plays. Yeah, I think Tavion was able to look better as the game went along because I think the offensive line also progressed as the game went along. What was crazy is that the third string center was playing the game. And I don't think any of us besides the beat writers knew what was going on with the roster rotation. I was like, wait, we had a third string center playing that second half. Like that's crazy. I think that, I needed to see Tavion have the type of game that he had going into Autzen because, again, like you said, these guys that are banged up, they're great. They're our number one options in all accounts, our quarterback, our tight end, our, our you know backup running back that's basically been in place of Thomas while he's been gone. So I think that they need to really step it up, and I think that they can because Oregon's defense has been struggling, and washed, that Washington game really proves it. On the other side of the ball, I think the front seven is getting like they are improving so much compared to what they were at the beginning of the season. Last week, I talked about the front four in specific, but I think the front seven in total are just have just implemented and um, expanded on their game. Um, what's also crazy is the freshman Simote Peppa had a great game against Stanford. And that was a guy that really stood out to me as a potential game changer for the Utes moving forward on defense. Not looking too far ahead into the future, I think Utah will have a really, really good defense next year because I think we have a lot of offensive pieces that are potentially leaving that the defense can once again be the face of this Utah football team with a lot of these guys returning. That front four is going to be a critical part of it, and I think Peppa is going to have a huge role to play. Um, I think um, Devin Kafusi, the the captain, has really been like a vocal leader for this team, but I don't think he was really getting things done as a starter um, at the beginning of the season and seeing this freshman step up and play has been phenomenal. Um, I was listening to coach Whittingham uh, talk earlier in the week that Simote had to lose like 35 pounds in order to be a defensive tackle. The guy's still like 350. So that's absolutely insane that he had to lose that much weight in order to get that type of role. But he said that Whittingham said that he saw an increase in his endurance and being able to play and also what he's able to do in terms of his skills. Like it expanded his skills, losing weight, being able to move past um, that front, you know, the offensive line on the other side of the ball. I'm really intrigued to see what they can do against Oregon. You're playing against, in my opinion, the best offense in the Pac-12. Um, Bo Nix, who has been a Heisman candidate for the last few weeks. But with what happened in that Washington game, what does Bo Nix look like on Saturday? We saw him take a pretty big hit. Um, late in the game, um, potentially an ankle injury of some sort is what I'm hearing. He was out for a drive, got put in for the potential game-winning drive, but then again, it looked questionable as he threw the Hail Mary at the end of the game, and it literally went like 20 yards, line drive, and hit the field. So I'm like, if that's Bo Nix's best, if that's his attempt at like a Hail Mary, I'm like, maybe Utah's in for good spirits. Maybe we might get a few interceptions, and we might see the Bo Nix of old. My heart is telling me, though, that Bo Nix will be fine for the most part. Maybe not as mobile as he used to be or as he has been this season. But this front seven really has to step up against Oregon. Their offensive line is up for the best offensive 
line in the country. They're they're up for that award. Um, that Washington game was the first game for the entire season that they've allowed a sack. So Bonix had not been hit in the backfield until what is that game ten? That's absolutely insane. I think Utah has a great offensive line, and Cam's you know been sacked you know five or six times or whatever. So the fact that he hadn't been sacked until week ten is astounding. And I think that it's up to this freshman and Peppa and, you know, these guys on the outside, like Gabe Reed and um, Jonah Ellis, who's been stepping up huge on the, on the defensive end position. These guys really have to make a mark because if you can get Bonix out of the pocket, that's sometimes where he used to thrive and make these magical plays, but that's also where he makes his mistakes. And so I think I trust in our secondary um, against this, these Oregon wide receivers, but you got to stop the run and you got to stop Bonix in the pocket. So that's going to be my really big key to beating Oregon on Saturday. Before I get into what I want to get into, do we have a nickname for Peppa? Because I feel like there's an elephant in the room for what his nickname might be. Are you going for like Salt and Peppa or like what are we? Uh, Peppa are Pig. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that... why I say the elephant in the room. It's not a good thing, you know. <laughs> I I like it. Maybe maybe we could tweet that out and see if that becomes a trend, like Thick Boy Seven did. <laughs> I don't know if it I don't think he'll take offense to that. I don't but I think that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's Dude, a good nickname. As as long as he's playing like this, I'm sure he's fine to be called whatever. Um, but I do want to make some points about this Utah Oregon matchup because I think it's a really intriguing matchup. Uh from a statistical perspective, these teams are both very similar. Um points per game. Utah's averaging 39 and a half, and Oregon's averaging 42.2. Points allowed per game, Utah's averaging 20 points allowed per game, and Oregon's allowed, allowing 27 points per game. Um, passing yards, Utah's averaging 252, Oregon's averaging 288. Rushing yards, Utah's averaging 210, Oregon's averaging 239. Passing yards allowed, Utah's averaging 206, Oregon's averaging, like I said, 289. Rushing y- yards allowed, Utah's averaging 121, and Oregon's averaging 108. So, this kind of does speak to what their secondary does look like. And I think that's going to be where Utah needs to take a lot of advantages and try make some of those big plays downfield. But I really want to focus on Bo Nix because he has been, like you said, in the Heisman conversation, he's been really good all year. I thought his only bad game was against Georgia and then he's elevated ever since. And his play has been great. Um, Against BYU. I remember watching that game. I thought he had some incredible plays and he's playing like Heisman. Um, one of the things that really scares me about Bo Nix, which might not be as big of an issue depending on the status, status of his ankle injury, is he has 14 rushing touchdowns this year. That is really impressive for a quarterback, and I think that's going to be something that Utah is going to have to be keened in on. Um, kind of Utah's had some struggles with quarterbacks that are really successful in the run, and I think that's something that we've improved that as the season went on but in game one against Anthony Richardson in the Florida Gators he ran for 106 yards and three touchdowns and I thought that opened up a lot of eyes about what this Utah defense's weakness might be um, DTR against on UCLA he only ran for eight yards but he did have a touchdown and granted Charbonnet was doing a lot of the heavy lifting for UCLA that game but I do think he was still a really good runner and Utah was kind of able to limit that a little bit Caleb Williams is dynamic on his feet and he ran for 57 yards against the Utes. Um, No touchdowns, but he was still phenomenal that entire game. 
So I do think this is going to be have, have to be something that especially our linebackers are watching out for is what is Bo Nix going to do on his feet? Because sometimes our, our, def- our defenders will get to him, they'll get close, but then a gap will open up in the middle, the quarterback will run, and there won't be anybody there. He'll get like a 20-yard gain. And so I think Utah is going to have to really keep an eye on that and try to limit that as much as possible. I would th- say that's kind of the number one key for this Utah defense is to limit what Bo Nix can do on his feet, especially in the red zone. I also think some other keys are Utah's going to have to match Oregon's intensity. They're coming off of a tough loss against Washington. I think um, everything that happened last year, they definitely have a chip on their shoulder against this Utah team. They lost twice in embarrassing fashion, both games. And I think that even though it's a lot of different personnel, they're going to be attacking this Utah team. They're going to want to prove that they're the better program. Um, Utah's also going to have to limit big plays. I think, kind of just try to keep them in their run game, try to, I don't know. They're, they're a pretty good running team. They have multiple running backs that are good. Um, but I think if you're able to kind of keep them on the ground, that's going to open a lot of things up for the defense. And I think Utah's offense is really going to be what has to win this game for the Utes. Um, I think as good as our defense has been, and although there's been steady improvement, I don't necessarily count on our defense to win this game like our defense used to be able to win games. I think it's going to come down to how good is Cam rising this game, how good is Tavion Thomas, and how how well do we play as as an offensive unit. I think that's really what it's going to be come down to. And if we're able to start out intense and kind of not have a slow start like we've had in some games, I think that Utah could win this game. Yeah, I think it I think it really does come down to can the offense be elite? I think the offense has been reliable and has been very good, but I think this game has to come down can you be elite? And Cam Rising especially has been a really good and a really reliable quarterback these past two years. And he's had flashes. I think this is a game where he can prove, especially if he's planning on going into the NFL, that he can be an elite quarterback. Because his QBR is good, you know, stats can kind of back him up, but he's never really been in like a national type conversation. Now you're in a, a potentially probably one of the biggest games of the weekend. I think it really comes down to Oregon, Utah, USC, UCLA. Those have to be like the two biggest games. You're in now this really big environment. You're going to have a lot of people watching. Can you perform and step up for your team? Because all those notes that you just mentioned are, I believe, are going to happen. Like, absolutely. I think Oregon's going to come out firing. But Utah's had all these slow starts. Can they come out and punch first? That's got to be critical, especially when you're going up to Austin. You got to punch first. And I think that's what Oregon failed to do when they came to Rice-Eccles last year, and especially when we played in the Pac-12 championship. Utah was just able to punch first, and Oregon could never recover. That's really how you have to play as the underdog, which Utah was in both scenarios going into those games. Um, Talking about underdogs, let's go into running Utes basketball. Um, These guys have... A good roster, I think a step up from what they had last year, especially. And I think that we're going to be able to see what they can really do um, going into these next few weeks in non-conference. They're going to play some tough guys coming up ahead. Uh, I'm looking at that TCU game at Vivint, obviously BYU down in Provo. But this roster as of right now, it's still obviously you got some things you got to work out only three games in. But I'm liking some things that I'm liking are um, some of the pieces around Brandon Carlson. Um, but that's especially because I think that's also something that should be improved upon. 
We know Brandon Carlson's good. I talked about that last week, and we've saw that we've seen that in these last few games. I mean, just look at yesterday's game. He's basically the reason that Utah didn't fold against, an, in my opinion, a really good Big Sky team in Idaho State. But that's, I think that's what has to be the key this year. Brandon Carlson is a preseason first team All Pac-12 guy. You know he's going to show up night in, night out for Utah because I think, especially with what he had to deal with last year, with all his weird injuries and everything that guy had to go through. He is set on having a really good year this year. And I can rely on him to make good decisions on offense and defense. My, my question though, is who can, can the team really step up around him? Because we've seen flashes of, you know, Gabe Madsen and, um, you know, maybe some, some other guys, Raleigh Wooster has been kind of dependable and, but some of these guys from last season have kind of been a little lackluster so far. I'm, I'm looking at Stefanovic, uh, didn't have a great shooting day yesterday against Idaho State. They were really good on the defensive end going in, um, trying to lock down their big play, Idaho State's big player in McKenzie in the second half, and they did a great job. But on offense especially, I'm looking for someone to kind of step up their game just a little bit to ease the pressure off of Carlson because you're already seeing um, right after the first game, teams are planning their defense around Brandon. You see a double team come almost immediately as he does the two dribble in the paint. And Brandon's trying to find guys and pass out. But you also have to add another threat. And I think different guys can step up different nights like we talked about with the Jazz, right? You want to go with a hot hand. But I'd like to find maybe one or two more guys that I can consistently count on, like Carlson, in a game. Um, I, I look back to those great years in the in the Larry Kraskoviak era. You had guys that were dependable. And I think that was in DeLon, Jakob. And then you had guys like, Loveridge or Taylor, who you could depend on to have, you know, five, six, up to 15 points a game, depending, but you could count on them when they had the ball, they'd make smart decisions. Kind of goes into my second point. I liked what I saw from Mike Saunders. I know you're a big fan, Richie. You love, you love the transfer from Cincinnati, but yesterday I think he realized he had a strength that he could use against these defenses. And that's got to be his speed. Um, he realized he could attack down low and he became a critical point of kicking out to the outside, finding good shots, good looks. I think Saunders can be a really big part of this offense. And I'm now really starting to see your side of the story. I, I didn't really know what to make of Mike Saunders, especially with his stats that I saw coming from Cincinnati. I didn't really know how big of a role he could play with the running Utes. But after looking, especially at yesterday's game, I think he can play a really big role. And I think it all comes down to his speed. Not really convinced on his shot yet, but I think he has the speed alone can create shots for other guys, which goes back into my first point, which is if Mike Saunders creates space, other guys have opportunities to then step up and be that guy that I can rely on as a fan. Um, that's really what I saw coming out of that Idaho State game. But something that I really liked was, again, they didn't fold. Um, Idaho State was a really tough team. And I don't think that's a, a discredit to what Utah's doing. I just think that's a credit to what the Bengals are doing um, up in Pocatello. Uh, they basically almost beat BYU on the road as well in their opener. Uh, they were up at halftime by a pretty sizable margin. And if they don't miss a last-second shot against BYU, they, they go ahead and beat the Cougars um, on the road opening game. So I think Idaho State was a really tough team, and they made a great scheme. But again, that's Idaho State. So that also makes me worried going into now some bigger games and some bigger opponents. How is Utah, Utah going to step up, and who specifically is going to take that mantle and step up around Brandon Carlson? Richie, do you think you have a guy in mind of who maybe could step up around Brandon Carlson going into the future? 
Oh yeah, I've definitely got a guy. But I do want to talk a little bit more about Saunders because I really like that you brought him up. I thought he has really kind of fit in great with this Utah team. Um, I think beginning of the year, I was saying that he should be the starter, but I kind of think I've switched up my views on that. I think he's really valuable coming off the vent off the bench. And I think with Wooster, I kind of think Utah's best lineup is with Saunders and Wooster at the same time. I think Wooster has started the year and he's looked really good. He's scoring from all three levels. He's, just looked great. He's facilitating at a very high level. I think he's got to be the starting point guard. But I also think when you have those two on the floor at the same time with Carlson and maybe with Madsen, then you just have so many weapons. And so I think I hope that's a look that Utah goes to more and more throughout the season. And that might be what the closing lineup looks like. But one guy that I was really, really surprised with um, was Luca Tarlach. And I don't think this is something that anybody saw. It's kind of like with Lazar Stefanovic last year. Um, he's not really on like any on any pro- prospect rankings. Like he doesn't have a star value. He's a Serbian guy like Lazar, and he came in last night after being injured for a couple weeks and instantly just put up 18 really really solid minutes. He had eight points, four rebounds, and one steal, and was four of four, four on shooting. As I was reading a little bit about Luca, I stumbled upon an article by Steve Bartle of 247 Sports. And one of the things that struck out to me is he says he wants to play like Scottie Pippen, that that's his idol, that's who he loved watching grow it up. I think that's like such a green flag to see that mentality in a player. It's like, oh, you want to play like Scottie Pippen instead of Michael Jordan? You want to be the guy that passes, the guy that gets others involved instead of being the guy that's no knock on Michael Jordan. He's the best player ever to play. But instead of being the guy that is doing fadeaway jumpers every single possession, you want to be the guy that is getting out in transition, that's getting steals, that's playing really hard defense. I think that's a really big green flag about just sort of his mentality towards the game. Um, He has really quick hands. He was fearless when attacking the basket. I thought there were some things I really liked. Like he's always keeping his head up. He's always looking at the basket when he's attacking. He's always making sure that his – Shot isn't too contested. Um, I just thought his shot selection was great. Like, you could have called a couple of them fouls because he was getting a lot of contact. Um, and I just think he's looking really like a really good stud. Um, he's also really quick for his size. He's 6'7. Uh, he had a couple plays. He had one on the perimeter where he did a shimmy and then um, just went right into the paint into a contested layup and finished over the bigger defender. Um, but that kind of just shows you how quick he is for his size. So far, we haven't seen the jump shot, so I'm I'm a little bit skeptical of, like, is this a guy that you'd want in your starting lineup? Because I do think around Carlson and Anthony are going to be wanting shooters. Um, But I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on. We didn't even get to see him shoot free throws, so we'll see if the jump shot's there or not. But if it is there, then he could definitely work his way up into really high-quality minutes. Um, But, yeah, I'm really excited about Luka. I think this... Utah team is almost ready to take a big leap. Right now, I was looking at the Ken Palm rankings, wanted to see where we're at three games into the season. So super, super early, probably way too prematurely. But our current Ken Palm ranking is 63. You want to know how many teams make the NCAA tournament? 64. So we're right there on the edge. We're looking in um, probably like a first four out team. 
And I think that's really awesome place to start as this team starts the season. Currently, the only schools in the Pac-12 that are higher than us are Colorado, USC, Oregon, Arizona, and UCLA. So I think you could expect all those teams to be higher. But I do think it is shocking that we are above Stanford and Washington State and Washington, all who were projected to finish higher than us in the Pac-12 preseason. Um, but Utah went, we went 4-16 and 16 last year. But anybody that watched the games know that a lot of those games could have swung the other way. Um, I think that as the season closes out and, heck, as conference play starts, that Utah is going to have a lot of opportunities to win big games because of a couple of things that they do really well. And I kind of think that there's going to be a couple differences from this year to last year. And the main difference is, like you mentioned, Brandon Carlson. He had some of those fluky injuries, like who gets their appendix out in the middle of the season? That's just absolutely ridiculous. But he was able to come out and still put up good numbers. But I think this year you're going to have a lot more of Brandon Carlson. And hopefully he stays healthy throughout the year because he just adds so much on both ends. I could see him being like an upper teens scorer, 18, 19, um, and working his way onto that first team, all Pac-12, getting the actual honors instead of just the preseason honors. I think he is that caliber of a player. And if he's able to do that, then Utah is probably going to be in a really good position to make a run through this Pac-12 conference. This Pac-12 conference is good. Um, Arizona and UCLA are both really, really good teams, especially UCLA. I'm surprised with how good they are and Tiger Campbell and um, Jaime Jaquez and some of their rook, some of their sophomore or freshmen are looking really good. So, I mean, there's definitely a path for Utah to get into Pac-12 conference competition and maybe even get into the NCAA tournament. But I do think it's going to be a long road for them. I love your uh, lofty goals this early in the season. Um, and I think the only reason maybe Colorado would be ahead of Utah as well is because they got a really big win over Tennessee last week. And some of those other teams, we the Pac-12 maybe hasn't had the best success in non-conference. We've had some early drops by Oregon and um, Washington State. But I am excited, and I think – like you were saying, if you actually watched last year's Utah basketball team, you know that they can their record can be way better than it was last year because even in the games where we played the best competition, the Pac-12, like the Utes competed. Like they made it a close game. Like I look back to the UCLA and USC home games. Uh, even the U of A home game on the road was really competitive and the Utes were up at halftime. And so I think going into this year, Utah has the chance to be able to close out those games against the top competition. And my eyes aren't really set on a Pac-12 conference championship. I don't know if they can make an Oregon State type run like the Beavers did in 2020. But I think that they really do have a shot at that, that NCAA tournament come the end of the season. I think they can make a, a really good run and try and see if they can sneak their way in. That you just need some really good key wins. That's what will boost your Ken Palm ranking is if you can get some solid wins against some of those top opponents. So I'm excited to see what they do. You got a really good early matchup against Arizona come December. That's going to be your Pac-12 opener at home at the Huntsman Center. So let's hope the curtains rise for that one and we can get some fans in the stands because that's that's also what makes me sad is no one's really able to see who Brandon Carlson has become. He's become the face of Utah basketball. Like This is his team. And so I hope that more teams can, can come in and actually see – this star center, like see Brandon Carlson play. Um, you were talking about how much he's changed his game, how much Brandon has evolved over the years. And so I think being able to see 
how he can perform this year with this new roster is going to be very exciting. I think Utah can potentially upset a few teams. I'm not calling anything right now, but I don't think they're going to finish 10th in the conference like they were predicted. Um, you mentioned a few of the teams that finished uh, that were picked above Utah in the preseason, but that didn't that right now Utah is ahead of. And so I think Utah can really take a leap and maybe move themselves up into the, the fifth spot, the sixth spot, something like that around that area, because I think, I think Utah can really make a run this year and, and really improve upon what they did last year. So of course we always do a draft segment. Uh, first week we did all time TV characters last week. We talked about, um, I believe it was all time former running Utes. Um, but this week we're going to be talking about our all time, or we're going to draft our star Wars starting five last week. I got the first pick and of, of course we got to switch off every week with who goes first. So that means Richie, he gets to take it away. So Richie, who are you going to take first in our star Wars starting five? Hey, I'm honored. Um, I really don't think it's that big of a question. Because at the center position, I'm taking Darth Vader, man. At the center position, I like yeah. it. I like it. I I had Darth Vader projected. Uh, my team wanted to take him at the small forward, but you know what? That's okay. I like that's a good move at center. I don't think anyone can get past him. He's your LeBron. Um, he can play all five positions. You know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he can he can move around. <laughs> I just wanted to say I want him to have an honorary position. Head coach has to be Emperor Palpatine because that guy can plan like no other. He had a great scheme going, and I think they had a great season uh, for a few years, about 20 years. That was a dynasty that I think was, I mean, it had success until some guys came along, but I'm I'm just going to give my head coach role to Emperor Palpatine because, man, that guy can plan. Um, For my point guard position, uh, he's small, he's fast, and I just think he's the wisest guy in the game. Give me Master Yoda, you know? He's got that Mike Saunders-type speed, but... (laughs) feels like his wisdom he's been playing since the game was invented so i'm gonna go with yoda at the point guard dude that's that's a great pick he was he was pretty high on my board um at the two i'm taking my kobe bryant mace windu i just (laughs) you know you love what he brings to the table the purple lightsaber it's so unique it's like nobody else got it he's kind of he's kind of just like kobe like you know he's one of the best but you know, there's there's still something there, but he's still one of the best. You know, it's like Kobe being in the top ten conversation. He's definitely one of the top ten, but he's not quite top three. So I'm picking Mace Windu. I, I think Mace has that Mamba mentality. I'm with you there. Um, small forward, the three. I'm gonna I'm gonna draft Anakin Skywalker. You know, he's not Darth Vader, um, but he's still got he's got that force ability, and I think he'll have a few games where he can pop off and show that that Darth Vader type stardom. Um, so I'm gonna go with the chosen one at uh, at the small forward. Hey, you can't go wrong with Anakin Skywalker. Heck, I was thinking about drafting just five different versions of Anakin Skywalker at the point <laughs> guard having Annie. having little Annie, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we won't do that. Well, little Andy um, might be dangerous around the team's cheerleaders, so you gotta you'd watch out for that. J- just if they're older than him. Um, <laughs> looks like I gotta pick a point guard, so I'm gonna pick none other than probably my favorite Star Wars character of all time, Obi Wan Kenobi. 
Oh, solid pick. I like it. I like it. All right, going at the shooting guard position, I'm going to go with the guy who shot first in A New Hope and also the guy who always shoots his shot no matter what when it comes to women, when it comes to planning, when it comes to stealing ships. I'm going to go with Han Solo. Dude, you can't can't go wrong with Han. Um, I'm looking at the power forward. You know, I'm if I'm constructing an NBA team, I really like those PJ Tucker types, like those guys that kind of just do a little bit of everything, but maybe like a little undersized. But I also like kind of like the 2000s power forward, like Carlos Boozer, Zach Randolph, like the Bruiser. I'm picking the Bruiser. I'm picking the Mandalorian as my four. Oh, I didn't even think of the Mandalorian, and that's that's stupid of me. But that's a good pick. I like that one. Hey, thanks. Um, I'm I'm going a little bit off track here. Maybe I'm going. Maybe I went a little too far on the draft board. I found a guy. He dropped a little bit, but some of my scouts went checked him out, and I like his potential. I'm gonna go with the Rancor from Return of the Jedi back at Jabba the Hutt's palace. Um. He's big, he's tall, but he he can shred guys to pieces. I just wanted a body <laughs> down low that could that could do things. So I'm gonna go with the Rancor uh, at at the center position. Hey, I, that's he definitely got size, man. He's gonna be playing like Shaq down there. That's what I wanted. I wanted some twin towers. <laughs> oh man, I, I don't I don't really know how I match that unless I chose the one person that killed the Rancor, Luke Skywalker at the three. Oh, you just went and one up me. I like it. Dude, I, I just, I, he was, a, he was there, man. If you get Luke Skywalker in the fifth round, I'm pretty sure you take him. Also the team chemistry, you got father, son duo. I think that's, you know, kind of brawny LeBron type stuff we're dealing with. That's a good pick. Oh yeah. All right. Final pick, uh, power forward position. I'm going to go with Wrecker from the bad batch. Uh, guy's ruthless. Um, I don't know if we're going to be good on offense in the paint, but I'll tell you what, I think our defense is pretty set. Um, except obviously if Luke gets switched on the screen to the Rancor, I don't know if that's going to work out well for me, but, um, I, I'm honestly really confident in my captain and point guard. I think he can make things happen, but that's honestly, I'm actually pretty proud of us this week. I think we did pretty good. These, these are good teams. We're going to have to see what the viewers think. Do you think 2K could have a mode where we could combine Battlefront and 2K and draft <laughs> these lineups, see what happened? I'm, I'm sure we could figure it out. Create Yoda and my player, see what happens. <laughs> I like it. All right, Richie, any parting thoughts for us as we end this week's episode? Um, I don't know, man. I, we're just we're in the best season of sports. We got the um, the college basketball, the champion, or what is it called? Michigan State versus Kentucky tonight, Kansas versus Duke, and that oh, the, yeah, college basketball classic. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking. Um, got big, big games this weekend. Got the NBA World season. Cup. Got the World Cup next week. Go Ecuador. Ecuador plays on Monday, I believe. Let's go Ecuador. Okay, um, I'll I'll cheer for Ecuador with you. I'm I'm just hoping <laughs> the U.S. can maybe pull out like one or two wins to make me proud once again. So. Uh rough years anyways thanks for listening in guys we'll see you guys next week if you liked what you heard please make sure to subscribe rate and review the show on apple podcasts and spotify 
You can also hear more about our episodes and contribute to weekly content by following us on Instagram at Thatcher Effect Podcast and on Twitter at RichieOsler3 and at NateThatcher15. We'd like to thank James Burchett for the music and the Basketball Podcast Network for hosting us. We'll see you guys next week.